this is probably our best setup is to just sit still and stare deeply into Actually each other's across eyes. from a table with a microphone in between us. Yes, while we discuss terrible things. A professional microphone, not our phone microphone. Right, right. That phone died a very sad death, by the way. <laughs> I don't think that this phone would record any better than that one did. Don't probably not. Mine probably wouldn't be any better either. I paid $1,400 for a camera, so. But it calls people. It takes pretty pictures. And it calls people. You have a, you have a camera that calls people. True. Very expensive camera that calls people. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Because, I mean, I think if I sold my big camera, I wouldn't get that. To be fair, it's also the only way I do my homework, too, so. Stop doing your homework on your phone. I don't. I use the hotspot. Oh, that makes sense. I don't have internet. Oh. I'm tired. I kind of am, too. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know what time it is. I'm old. It's like, it's 10 o'clock. it's 10 o'clock. Yeah, I'm old. This is past my bedtime. Oh, we're gonna be recording late. Mm Mm-hmm. This is gonna take a while, because this is, um, fucked up. This is only our second episode. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot more to get done this weekend. Like, a lot. You know we can banter. The worst part is, <laughs> can we tell a story? <laughs> what story are we telling? Okay, so, I'm actually not going to tell you all of the names. And I know that seems really confusing, but this story is not just one part. It's not, a, it's not one man. Yeah, no, remember when I kept telling you the whole time I was researching, I kept sending you Snapchats, and I was like, girl, this is fucked up. This is insanity. Um, Yeah, but wouldn't tell me what you were actually researching, so I couldn't look it up. It's true. I didn't want you to, because this one, like, popped out of nowhere. I don't remember what I was researching. But so I was, I don't remember what I was looking up, and it, like, popped up in a list of other things, and I was like, what is that? So then I clicked on it, and I started reading, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, oh, no. So, yeah, that's what brought me to this. Um, It takes place in the state that I actually lived in, not where this happened at. Definitely not at the time, either, because it was in the 70s, but, you know. I do love a good 1970s murder. It was not even No, we used to live in Michigan. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I knew all the other, well, probably not all the other ones, but I knew, I did not know that. No. Yeah, we used to live in Michigan. Over by, like, Petoskey, um, we actually lived in Gaylord. Yeah, it was um, a weird time in my life. We lived in a little trailer house. It was a whole thing. Anyways, um, our story today actually, for the most part, takes place in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And this is a two-parter and not in the way that you would normally think. Normally you hear two-parter and you think, for sure, this is, she means like it's two episodes, right? It might be by the time we're done with this, but that is not what I mean. So, they were born a year apart on the east side of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay, but who is they? Danny and Larry Rains. They were the second and third of four children born into a home with an abusive alcoholic father. Because that is usually how the story of serial killers start. Abuse and alcoholism. Um, Their father abandoned the family when they were 9 and 10. Um, For another woman, he actually ended up moving to Florida. Had a whole other family. Um, But before then, he constantly abused them. But, like, his favorite thing to do was to pit them against each other. 
Yeah, seems logical. Um, Larry once said that there was a time that his father took a quarter and tossed it between the boys and said that they had to fight and whoever won could have it. Danny won and his father sat him down next to him on the couch, gave him the quarter, and Larry cried. So their father always believed that if they got into a fight, they always had to be the winner. Um, even after their father left, they continued to beat on one another because healthy family dynamics, I guess. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. When you were younger, I'm sure you got into actual physical altercations with your siblings. I wouldn't say physical altercations, but there were fits thrown. <laughs> Things thrown. I did get into physical altercations. I had two older brothers, though, who seemed to forget that I was a girl. I loved my brothers. I did not like their friends. I was a weird kid, but anyways. Um, yeah, no, I mean, like, there's always that sibling rivalry, sibling competition, but, like, right. their dad egged it on to the point where they were literally beating the crap out of each other over a quarter. Um, I see. Classy parenting. Right. So Free-range parenting. <laughs> Um, even after their father left, they continued to beat on one another. Uh, Larry even said later on, you know, he used to hit his brother with boards, throw knives at him, and even shoot him with bows and arrows. Again, healthy sibling rivalry. <laughs> I mean, seems like boys, but regardless. Yeah, I don't know. There's a point where, like, you're, you, you get past the boys being boys. Like, boys are picking on each other. Boys being boys. And it's like... My sons are trying to kill each other. How do I stop this? Parenting is usually involved. That's true. Yeah. Absentee parentings. So the brothers did try and track down their father, but um, the brothers did try and track down their father in their teen years. But uh, when, when they did find him, he kicked them out and said that he never wanted to see them again. Ouch. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's rough because his only attention... The, the only attention he ever gave to them was, you need to beat up your brother. And then they're like, okay, we're gonna go find dad. And they go and find him. And he's like, yeah, I don't ever want to see you again. Get out of here. Look, dad, I beat the shit out of him. Love me. Pretty much. That's a really odd thing. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat the crap out of my brother. And that's how I'm going to get your attention for five minutes. You know, even with, like... The fact that dad was gone. So the father is out of the picture at this point. He's no longer enforcing this rivalry. He's no longer encouraging it. They still were very competitive. It even came to girls. Yeah. Um, we're going we're gonna to cover that in just a second. Because that is a huge key part of these brothers. And their story is the girl they fought over. And they didn't even really fight over her. She dated both of them. She just bounced back and forth. Her name is Paula. We'll get to her. <laughs> so in 1962, Larry decided that he wanted to join the army. This meant that he was leaving Paula behind. Don't do it. It's a trap. <laughs> yeah. Um, she began dating Danny. You know, with the Larry. Other yeah, the other brother. Okay. So with Larry gone and in the army and off doing... Larry and the army things. Um, we'll get to what exactly he was doing in the army. Um, and she was left behind because she was still in high school at this point. She's fairly young. 
and she's bouncing back and forth between these two brothers and larry goes off to the army so she's like okay danny's still here so i'll take danny she's dating danny next Um, best thing right and it's that's basically what it is um small town life right uh (laughs) kalamazoo is not a small town though it's not oh so (laughs) she was just classy she was very classy. You'll see just how classy a little bit later. I don't like to pick on women because pretty against the slut shaming thing. Definitely not slut shaming, but like this is she makes bad decisions. We're just we're gonna put it there. We'll circle back to it. No, a few of them. Yeah, so do I. Um, so you know, she began dating Danny. Larry was actually the younger of the two, and um he was the first one to turn to homicide. Yeah, no. So he was discharged from the army in the fall of 1963. He was only 18 years old when he had already been discharged from the army. Yeah, but was Um, it a dishonorable? uh, Well, he spent the last 90 days of his service in military jail. Okay, so dishonorable. I'd be safe to say. So what had happened was he had gotten drunk while out with a group of men, and when one of his friends stole his bag of potato chips, he lost it, stole a knife, and was chasing people around and threatening to kill them. Because that's definitely how you handle someone stealing your potato chips. I see it. (laughs) I see it. So when he returned home, he met up with Danny and Paula, but seeing that they're still together, Larry's like, okay, well, I'm going to let them do them, and I'm going to move on. He starts dating an older woman. She has children. Um, He moved in with her. He helps her with her kids. He cleans. He seems like a real decent partner. And he thinks that, you know, that's going to win him her love. So the problem that he's having is that while he's taking care of the house and he's taking care of her children and all this, she's still going out at night and seeing other men because, you know. Um, So Larry, hoping that she will settle down with him, proposes to her starts his i would say spiraling oh i'm gonna call it what it is it's spiraling it's spiraling that ended in terrible things but spiraling all the same so gary smock is a 30 year old high school teacher who is driving around michigan looking for sites for a church youth convention He had stopped at the Chamber of Commerce for a meeting, so he did call and let his wife know he wouldn't make it to dinner, but he'd be there as soon as possible. Um, As he headed to his in-laws, there was a hitchhiker out walking, and he thought he'd do the right thing and help him out. So when Gary doesn't make it home, his wife goes to the Kalamazoo Police Department to file a missing persons report. This is sad, like, and that sounds really like blank to say like very bland when you just say something sad but i mean it it really is because while she's in the station filling out the paperwork um a state trooper calls in and says that there's been an abandoned car on the side of the road with blood on the bumper and papers in the front seat so he also says like he'll investigate further so he's gonna move in closer see what's going on um gary's wife overhears the details and says it's her husband's car immediately afraid you know why is he not in the car so investigators start by combing the car for evidence and pretty quickly found a body nearby um gary smock had been tied up and then shot below his ear with a 22. police start trying to piece together gary's last few days and that saturday morning 
that Gary's wife is reporting him missing, there are fishermen pulling up to a gas station in Elkhart, Indiana, 60 miles away. He was running late when no one comes out to pump their gas. Because again, this is, you know, he had been shot in the head with a 22 and there was only $100 missing out of the register, which again, back then $100 was a lot more, but that's all that was missing. Wow. Um, They assumed it was a robbery. They had set up roadblocks and screened the cars, like kind of as they were going by. And they also sent out a be on the lookout to surrounding areas, including Kalamazoo. Charles and Gary's murders were connected with a similar manner of death and motive because they also believed that Gary's death was related to robbery because the papers spread out on the front seat, stuff like that. Like, they thought someone had gone through his stuff, you know. Then they remembered a murder from two months prior that had also been unsolved. We're up to two so far. So this this unsolved murder, they think may be the third. Um, 14 miles east of Kalamazoo, Vernon LeBen was a 23-year-old airman who was stationed at the Fort Custard Training Center and worked part-time at a gas station. He was alone when someone came in and robbed the station and shot him. So Vernon was found alive the next morning, but, you know, from blood loss, he had basically gone into a coma. And so this is the gas station attendant. This is another gas station attendant. Ah, so Charles okay. Snyder was the one in Elkhart, Indiana. That was the first one. And then um, 14 miles east of Kalamazoo was Vernon LeBet. And he was found alive, but in a coma. And he was transported to the hospital, but died 12 hours later. Gotcha. Um, at this point, police believed all three of them were connected, but they didn't really have any clues and definitely didn't have any witnesses. So on June 4th, not even a week after Charles and Gary were murdered, the police in Kalamazoo received a phone call. The caller had stated that the man who committed these murders is at their home and that he, quote, wants to see a priest and is going to commit suicide. When police arrived at the woman's house, they found Larry Raines. He was wearing Gary Smock's shoes and he was very much alive, but... They said that he was nearly catatonic. Like, he was sitting on the couch, was not communicating, was just staring straight ahead. When he was questioned about the murders, he left out no details. Like, there was not a single thing he didn't want to tell them. He said that Gary Smock had offered him a ride, but when he got into the car, he ordered Gary to get in the trunk of the car. As he drove away, he grew increasingly annoyed that Gary was making noises in the trunk, so he pulled over and shot him. And Seems then he, logical. Right? Right? Like, you put a guy in the trunk and you're expecting him to just be quiet? <laughs> right? Man. Like, wow. You're really being annoying back there. I know I put you in your own trunk. Um, also, if you've never ridden around in a trunk, like, if you've never been in a trunk and, like, had a vehicle moving, it's not a pleasant experience. I get anxiety so bad. And not even, like, About- confined spaces, but even if the car's not moving, if I'm in a trunk, not that it's happened a lot. Oh, my God. But, you know, I had a stupid ex, like, I'd be fixing something in the trunk, laying in there doing whatever, and he'd shut the door or something, you know, like... Yeah, assholes who thought things were funny. Instant anxiety, like. Right? Someone is taking me to a fucking landfill and about to, like, dump me in a safe. That was a very lovely bones. Thank you for that moment. So, 
He then headed south to Elkhart, Indiana. He stopped at a gas station where he robbed the station and killed Charles Snyder. Um, Larry told the officers that he was waved through the roadblock with Gary's body in the trunk of the car. Oh my god. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that happened. How? Which is- How? It isn't the point of a roadblock to search your vehicle? You'd think so, but, um, sometimes they're like, oh- You look innocent enough, Ted Bundy. Just please keep going. Learn how to drive. Well, exactly. No, so I guess my whole thing about this is, as we said before, the call that came in about the car, there was blood on the bumper. Like, there was blood on the back of the car. And this guy's just like, wave him on through. No big deal. Like, it's hunting season. Fuck it. I mean, that's... I don't know about you. I don't go deer hunting with my sedan or my four-door car or whatever. But, hey... You know, he actually are completely unclear on what the guy was driving, on what Gary's car was, except for it was a car. I saw a box van with a buck tied to the top of it. So, I mean, weirder things have happened. I did see someone deer hunting the other day on my, like, I was headed to Walmart, and I uh, saw someone deer hunting, and they had pulled their, I would say probably about 2012-style Taurus into the trees. Oh, my God. I was like, that's not. Like, what are you going to do with that? What are, if you? That's like when I totaled my focus, and your dad showed up with the Cavalier, and the people were like, "You want to take the deer?" And I'm like, "I have a totaled car and a Cavalier. and a shoebox. Like, <laughs> what do you think I'm taking this thing home in?" Yeah. So, yeah, they waved him through with Gary's body in the trunk of the car, and after he made it through, he returned to the crime scene where he had originally murdered. Um, Gary, where, well, where Gary had picked him up and he had forced him in the trunk of the car, abandoned the car and the body. He did also admit to the murder of Vernon LeBen. Um, he also admitted to two other murders, but the victims have remained nameless. Like, they, they have not identified them. Um, so one was a gas station attendant in Kentucky, and another was a man in Death Valley. So, (laughs) um... Larry initially waived his right to an attorney, but about the time the prosecutor was like, yeah, we would like to perform a psych evaluation, he was like, I would like a lawyer. <laughs> and, um, the seems fair. Well, you know, you think so. The psych eval was done before he was provided a public defender, though. That seems sketchy. That's not allowed. That's, That's pretty sketchy. Yeah. Um, it actually wins him a retrial, but we'll cover that a little bit later. Um, Larry told the psychiatrist that he thought he would never amount to much and that he had wanted to commit suicide. Um, he, quote, lacks a sense of direction and self-worth. Seemingly, he was missing the part of the psyche that makes people human. And, you know, so the whole thing is, is that 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 sentence right there seemingly he was missing the part of his psyche that makes people human you expect to hear that about like i mean these he's a terrible human being obviously but you expect to hear that about the real monsters you know the the toy box murderers the ed ted kemper. bundy ed kemper ed gein you expect to hear that about people like that and yet it's i don't know like i don't want to compare like one guy murdered a lot of people so he's really bad and then this guy murdered about a handful of people also bad but this guy murdered two people and ate them terrible right exactly like that's that's where i'm like 
I just, yeah, I don't know. This guy made lampshades out of nipples. No, he made a belt out of nipples. Edgy made a belt out of nipples. Also, huge. Uh, something. He no, he did make other home related. He made items a woman's suit out of someone's carcass. So let's just like. He was the inspiration for Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's just not talk about that right now. Um. So Larry said that the rejected proposal actually sent him to like a really dark place. Um, and that he attempted to commit suicide, but was found by a Michigan state trooper and then was committed to a hospital for two weeks. And instead of going home upon his release, he hitchhiked through Kentucky. And that was the point at which he murdered someone in Kentucky, according to his story. Um, so Larry was actually only charged with Gary's murder. And I think this was due to avoiding double jeopardy you know, can't try him for the same crime twice. So if they couldn't get him on Gary's murder, they were going to get him on one of the other ones. Right. Um, there, this, Larry's story lacks a lot of detail, but for the most part, you can kind of put a lot of it together, reading different things, going through different things. Um, his trial focused a lot on his mental health and with his lawyer stating he was not insane, but was when he killed Gary. How does that even make any sense? Um, basically, they were like, he's not insane, but he... He had a moment of insanity? Right. Like, momentarily, momentar momentarily insane? Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, it's... I don't know. So, his defense did find a psychologist who were willing to corroborate the idea of temporary insanity... Um, they argued that because of his father's abuse, he actually viewed it like he was killing his father over and over again. By the way, so when his father was still around, he was a gas station attendant. And because he was killing gas station attendants, he thought, they said that he thought he was killing his father, basically. They saw the person as his, he saw the people as his father. So was he ever, like diagnosed with a mental illness or anything like uh i don't know schizophrenia no but we'll get to something real weird in a little bit here um towards the end i'll tell you about what he did while he was in prison um but the jury wasn't really feeling the whole oh he sees them as his father and uh they sentenced him to life in prison well that seems fair doesn't it yeah i mean kinda you'd think so we're not done yet though we have a whole other half of this. <laughs> so Paula, who was still in high school at this point. Oh, well, she young, young. No, she's really young. And that's what I mean. It's like by the point that he is getting sentenced to life in prison, she is still in high school. Yikes. Ugh. Again, um, different time, but, like, I just can't. Cringy. How old is he at this point now? Uh, 18, 19, somewhere in there. 19, I think. And he's being indicted for... No, sentence to life in prison, yeah. Wait. Hang on. It's... Well, hammer time or whatever. Um, <laughs> Paula was still in high school. And she actually watched his trial and everything with her parents. 
apparently she was devastated by his uh, life sentence, which I'm like, are you not still dating his brother? This is very Carol Ann of her, is it? <laughs> so at the point that she real that she learned that he had been sentenced to life in prison, she made the decision to devote herself entirely to Danny because she wasn't before, apparently. Wow. Right? Life decisions. Uh, lots of good ones all around. Danny moved in with Paula during her senior year because she was pregnant. Um, he then proposed to her, despite her parents stating they did not want them to get married, he said he wanted to do the right thing. So they got married. Yeah, they did the thing. I wish you could see my face right now. <laughs> I can. You wish they could. Um, so. This, this makes my brain hurt. It's too hometowny. Right? Right. So over the next several years, Paul and Danny have two more children. But she begins to write letters to Larry in prison and he responds to her. Yeah. All sorts of twists and turns. <laughs> I couldn't, I just couldn't wait to tell you this, honestly. Oh, the infidelity. So Danny discovered these love letters and it caused the two to start drifting apart. Um, in oh, did it? Yeah, I know you're wow. shocked. Wow. Surprise. How would your relationship fare if you started pen-palling your boy Ex-boyfriend? Oh, like your boyfriend's your ex, imprisoned brother. Ex-boyfriend, uncle of your children, brother to your now husband. Yeah. Still your ex. Brother-in-law. Imprisoned brother-in-law. Yeah. My relationship would not fare well. I mean... This, this gives me a headache. Doesn't it? Yeah. It, I know, it gets worse. Um, just to be completely, like clear it's one of those i'm glad that's my husband does not have any brothers it makes our insanity look like we're sane <laughs> right so danny discovered these love letters obviously and it definitely caused them to drift apart um in 1967 their fighting peaked with a particularly loud and violent fight which ended up with danny leaving um he thought he would go to Alaska. He didn't make it that far. He ended up in Wyoming, okay? And literally went the opposite direction. N no, that's how you get to Alaska. Do where where is this taking? He's in he went they left Michigan and went to was going to Alaska, went to Wyoming. I lit you came and visited me in Wyoming. I keep forgetting this is the 60s and planes are not a, like a common thing. I mean, yeah, my, I'm like, air travel. My, gran my grandparents took a school bus and turned it into like a pseudo camper and moved to Alaska in the 70s, late 70s. So around this time, a few years after this shit. Yeah. Apparently it was like a 27 hour drive, which sounds terrible. So he, yeah, he ended up in Wyoming and about a month later, Paula received notice that Danny was in prison in Wyoming. Why, you ask? Do you want to know why? Well, 
Because while, while in Wyoming, on his way to Alaska, Danny decided that he was going to abduct children to get Paula's attention. Oh my god! Why? What is, what is the mindset with these people? <laughs> I knew you were going to I am going to steal a child so my wife gets my attention. No, so that I get my wife's attention. Like, yeah, no, that, that was... Pay attention to me and see the children I'm stealing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's... Look at what I did. No, but, like, Danny's a real G because he... I do not put that in there. <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> so, no, Danny at this point is not, like, the worst guy. He's not a good guy, but he's not the worst guy because he had to change a heart and took them home and turned himself in. And that's how he ended up in prison. Wow. Yeah. No, it gets better. It, it just keeps, it keeps getting better. Please, it just keeps, it is a compounding shit show. So he figured if, a, if Paula was attracted to a man in prison, if he got into trouble, he would get her back. The logic here is just flawless. Perfect. You just really just like French kiss the audience. I chef kissed and I wish I didn't. I immediately upon doing it wished that I had not. So he was sentenced to 18 to 24 months. And honestly, I think he got a short sentence because um, you kidnap children. I mean, he kidnapped them, but also he he returned them and turned himself in. Like, that seems... Yeah. But they're like, ugh, good behavior. I, th I think so. I think that was, like, a good behavior thing. So... He, ha he had the right heart for it. I mean, he tried. Not his best, but he tried. So, I know you're shocked, but when he was released, things between him and Paula heated up for a little bit again. Wow. Yeah. Got all hot. Ow, ow. Uh, only for a short time. So, also not surprising. As his marriage started to sour once again, he went out and abducted a teenage girl and assaulted her. I mean, it got her attention the first time. Yeah, he pled guilty and was sentenced to four years for their crime. And Paula, who had given birth to the couple's third child, filed for divorce. I'm gonna be honest. If my husband was like, you seem to be into them bad boys. I'm going to go abduct a teenage girl and assault her. I'd be like, nope. Nope. The government can keep you. Yep. Time to go. Yeah. Actually, he, he would never, but still. Like, fortunately, I'm not marrying a man like that, so. Um, Danny, at this point, obviously had felt like he lost everything. Um, so... Also, at this point, Larry had been in prison for about seven years um, and was preparing to go back to his go back to trial on an appeal. And this is where the psych eval comes into play because his psych eval was done before his public defender could speak to him. He was given a retrial. So he was returned to Kalamazoo for a retrial, hoping that hoping that the conviction would be overturned. Um, the headlines made sure to let everyone know that Larry was back in town. I mean, he was being held in jail, but he was still back in town. Right. Um, five days later, Danny was paroled on February 17th, 1972, and headed back to Kalamazoo. 
um, within only days of the two men being back in town, the town was rocked by a series of murders. Yeah. Surprising. Yeah, I know. Danny sat in his van and watched a young woman um, that was parked next to him and her son go into a local department store. An hour later, she returned and she put her son in the car. And as she walked around to get in, Danny jumped out. He pulled a knife and she fell into her car at first, kind of panicked. Um, he then pulled her out of the car and forced her into his van where he... I, I'm going to take a minute to pause. And for anyone listening to this, um, trigger warning? Yeah. Um, I would recommend if you are not keen on listening to the general rape and murder aspect of things, skip over it because we're, we're, we are going to talk about it. Not like in great depth, but it's mentioned. So, you know, figure I'd let everyone know. <laughs> Fair warning seemed fair, so trigger warning. Um, he bound her hands in front of her and raped her, and when he was finished, he tried to push her into the front of the van. So she struggled and fought as he tried to strangle her and scratching his face in the process. Um, they fell out of the van and onto the ground, and as she stood and tried to get away, he stabbed her in the back, but when that didn't kill her, he twisted the knife until she stopped fighting to get away. Um, her son stood near the van crying because he had gotten out of the back seat. Um, thinking that the child would never remember him, he left him there alone as his mother lay on the ground struggling and then eventually dying. Oh my god. Yeah, it's... So it's that was terrible. Oh no, it gets worse because you're about to find out just how old the boy was. So, Neil Houck... Uh, filed a missing persons report for his wife, Patricia, who was 28 years old in their 17-month-old son, Corby. Oh my god! Yeah. She had gone shopping on March 18th, 1972, and never returned home. Um, the police began searching for the mother and son, but nothing showed up until the next day when police received a call from a woman who had found Corby wandering the streets by a local elevator company. He was covered in blood. The woman followed the boy and found the body of a woman who had been murdered. Um, when the police arrived, so actually, hang on, I want to say something about this. So I had two sources on this, and one said that he, that Danny stabbed her and left her lay like by the car and then the other said that her body was found behind the elevator company building and after he stabbed her he like dumped her body there but it's it's kind of wishy-washy i'm going to assume that he left the body there otherwise he'd have to take her and the boy and dump them behind the elevator so that's kind of where that that is but um when the police arrived they found the woman's body bound and stabbed to death just behind the building and they ad identified her as patricia hauck um her wallet was missing so their first thought was it was a robbery but there was obviously a sexual component to the crime as well despite their investigation patricia was a woman that had no enemies she was generally pretty well liked 
Um, and with no leads, the case went cold until a few months later. Like it went cold. I, I, when I was researching the case, it said that, um, it went cold within like a month, a few weeks to a month, basically. So on July 5th, Danny was working at the Sprinkle Road service station when two teens pulled in to get gas at around 1.30 a.m. Danny had a co-worker at this Sprinkle Road service station. It was a 15-year-old named Brent Coster. So I believe they called him Stretch. Uh, Brent Coster, they called him Stretch. He was like six foot eight six foot six or six foot eight at 15 years old. He's in, he's huge. That is a brute of a child. Yeah. Like he's, he's not, from what I understand was not like a big guy, like not thick, but like he was very tall. It's kind of lanky, I guess. Um, so Brent went out and filled their tank while Danny popped the hood and said that he was, you know, um, checking their oil and stuff, and what he actually did was he pulled one of the spark plug wires, which caused the car to miss and have issues staying running, um, and he instructed the girls to pull into the shop so that he could take a closer look. I am going to again go, trigger warning, because this is going to get terrible. Um, when they entered the building, the two men pulled knives on them and forced them into the back of the car. Um, Danny drove the girls to the back of the station, and then Danny and Brent tied the girls up, and one of them kept an eye on the girls while the other made sure the up, made sure that they were up front and tended to customers. So, Brent witnessed Danny assault Linda, but Danny told him that he also raped Claudia. Brent then raped Linda in the van, and Danny put Claudia in the car where he instructed Brent to strangle her. Fifteen years old. Yes. And when he wasn't able to strangle her by himself, Danny stepped in and helped him. Brent managed to strangle Linda on his own. So, Danny had told Brent about what he had done to Patricia. And that's kind of what led him to convincing Brent, Brent to participate in this which I cannot imagine telling a 15-year-old that I did something horrible and that 15-year-old then being like, I want to try it. Sounds cool. Let's do it. Like, I just can't imagine it, you know? So a month later on August 5th, the pair struck again. Hmm. I don't know how many times throughout this episode I have to say trigger warning, but here's your trigger warning. Um, an 18-year-old Pamela Fearnow was hitchhiking on the western... Okay, so here's the thing. I saw a newspaper clipping and a, that has a picture of Pamela, and it has her last name as Fearnoy, which everything else I've read says Fearnow, like the word fear and then now. And I think it may have been a misprint, or it's just an older clipping, so it's hard to read. I'm not entirely sure. Or individual pronunciations. Yeah, I maybe. I don't know. This one's kind of hard, but I'm going to go with fear now because I that's the most common. That's the most common spelling that I've seen. 
So 18-year-old Pamela Fiernan was hitchhiking on the Western Michigan University. Um, they picked her up and immediately pulled a knife on her. They took her to a wooded area. Brent tied her up in the back of the van and covered her up with a sleeping bag and then laid down next to her while Danny drove them. Um, over the following six hours, they raped her multiple times and then they tied her up again and took her to another area. They drank beer and offered her wine. Um, later on and everything, they'll go on to say that, oh, she drank the whole bottle of wine and stuff. But I find that hard to believe. From a woman that just got kidnapped and assaulted for six hours. I, I just don't see her drinking a bottle of wine and having a good time with these guys while they're drinking beer. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she thought that the wine would help her because she was so afraid that's a possibility but i yeah their whole oh she drank a bottle of wine hung out with us i don't think so i'm gonna go as far as to say you guys are liars <laughs> oh for sure um they drove on to another wooded area and this was where pamela started to scream and was trying to get away from them so Danny punched her in the stomach, and when this didn't quiet her down, Brent put a plastic bag over her head. Um, Danny left the van, and when Pamela fell silent, Brent got out as well, and when Danny saw that she was dead, they pulled her out of the van and placed her on the ground. Um, so for MOs now, we have stabbing, strangulation, and now suffocation with a plastic bag. Ah. Yeah, but it's it's odd because um, they come back to the scene to move her. Uh, when Danny mentioned that he had seen a police cruiser, Brent got scared and took off. Um, the police officer stopped and checked Danny's ID and then let him go. Apparently didn't see a body or anything. I don't know. So Danny went home to his trailer and received a call from Brent looking for a ride. So... Another little note, um, the Kalamazoo Gazette said that the pair lived together, like Brent and Danny lived in this trailer together, but Brent was a runaway, so it's also hard to be clear, like, where he lived at the time anyways. Right. So the following day, they went to move the body, and Brent saw that there were two ropes around the woman's neck, thinking Danny must have put them there after he had run away, because Brent had only put one around her neck the day before. Um, so friends of Pamela reported her missing after she left to run an errand and they didn't hear from her again. Right. Um, a short time later, the police received a call from a young man claiming to know who had killed Linda and Claudia. Um, and after confirming details about the cases with the evidence that they had, officers questioned Brent. Um, he very quickly folded. I mean, he's 15 years old. I don't, I don't, there aren't a lot of hardened 15-year-olds in the world, and he is definitely not one of them. Um, yeah, he very quickly admitted his involvement, um, and also said that he was just Danny's accomplice. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but... Well, I mean, if you're 15 years old, you're not really mentally stable enough to make that kind of decision, so... You're not a criminal mastermind. Right. I mean... Yeah. If... Danny was the one, like, masterminding. That's not what I'm thinking. Like, demonstrating. 
or like pulling the strings. Yeah, telling him, instructing him, telling him what to do, or right. pushing him to I do mean, it. I mean, an, an accomplice would be the best word for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's true, too. So, Brent told the police that everything had started when Danny started bragging about his first murder about six months earlier. Um, he then went on to explain the murder of the other girls. Uh, what happened with Linda, Claudia, and Pamela. Um, and he was arrested and placed in a juvenile detention facility. Only a few hours later, it was actually Labor Day, 1972, um, they arrested Danny. Despite him saying that he had nothing to do with any of the murders. Oh, of course he did. Yep. He refused to admit it. It um, was the 15-year-old. He did everything. Yeah, he did everything. He is a, oof, that 15-year-old. Um... Brent was assigned an attorney, James Hills, who convinced him to give details of the murders in exchange for a plea to second-degree murder to one of the, one of the murders while the others were dropped. This is for Brent. This is not for Danny, though. So it wasn't until October 18th that he took them to where Pamela Fearnow's body was. Um, keep in mind, Danny was arrested on Labor Day, so they murdered her before that, and... Yeah. It, he didn't take them to her body until October 18th. This is also in Michigan. It gets cold in Michigan. They put the girls in the back of the car and Brent drove the car to a wooded area and then tried to burn it down by pouring gasoline on it and dropping a lit cigarette on the floor of the car. He then hitchhiked back to the station and then Danny showed him money, a few rings, a pair of earrings, and a few photographs he had taken of the girls. Photographs. Yeah, um, there is, it's kind of hard to find any detail on that. I don't know if they were alive. I don't know in what state the girls were. I, I don't know what the photographs entailed exactly, but he took photographs of them and obviously kept little trophies. Hmm, he was one of them. Yeah. So... A little over 10 miles north of Kalamazoo, near Galesburg, a group of motorcyclists found an abandoned car. They stopped to investigate and found two decomposing bodies inside. A short time later, the two were identified as 19-year-old roommates Linda Clark and Claudia Bidstrup. They had been traveling from Chicago to Ann Arbor, Michigan to visit one of the girl's brothers, and had been reported missing by one of the girl's fathers to the Chicago police. Um, one of the girls was actually the daughter of a Chicago police detective. Oh my god, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, I can't imagine, like, being in that line of work and then having that happen and living with it afterwards, like, or, you know, not, because it's not in your area, you can't work on this yeah, case. Yeah, you don't you have can't. a jurisdiction. Yeah, like, that would, that would kill Well, me. and even if it was, he probably wouldn't be able to work on it regardless. No, I'm it's sure. Because of interest. Yeah, I, I doubt they would be able to do anything, you know. Um, so the girls had been killed a week before they were found, which made it hard to determine their exact cause of death, but the rope around their necks was a pretty good indication that they had been strangled. Um, the time that had passed also made it really hard to pin down leads um, because it's, you know, 
they've been dead for a week, it's hard to kind of tell what had happened, stuff like that. Right. Um, the one clue that the police department did have, though, was that the gas tank of the car was full. So it was pretty obvious that they hadn't made it very far after filling up. So the police, as well as the press, thought that there was a connection to the Hauk murder. The girls were tied similarly, and their purses had been emptied as well. I mean, seems pretty logical. Right. Lead. You know, like, they, they, all three, I mean, two were together, but in both instances, they were, their purses were emptied, they were robbed, they were tied up, and they were assaulted, so, and then they were, well, Patricia was stabbed, but the other girls were strangled. That's kind of the big difference, though. That's that's the only big difference, but her remains were nearly skeletal at this point, but her jawbone was used to make an identification. She was found less than a mile from where the other two girls had been found. Well, that seems pretty common. Yeah. I mean, dumping grounds for serial killers. Right. Brent told investigators that he had distanced himself from Danny because he said he wanted to steal a car and go to Florida. <laughs> Danny wants to go to Florida. Danny wanted to steal a car and go to Florida, where his dad lives. Which his dad doesn't want anything to do with him, so, you know. He went on to claim he was worried Danny would kill him. Um, which, I mean, he he's probably not wrong. You know, I would be worried in the same situation, because he's a 15-year-old accomplice to someone who obviously doesn't care. You right. Know? So if he's going to use him to get this done do these things or whatever and then oh i'm gonna move on i'm gonna steal a car and go to florida yeah he's a 15 year old accomplice to somebody who's in no way afraid to throw him under the bus right so since brett brent coster was only 15 years old his lawyer tried to keep him in juvenile court but the prosecutor petitioned to have him tried as an adult due to the brutal nature of his crimes I mean, that also kind of sounds fair, just because he volunteered. Right, like, because this guy was like, hey, I stabbed this woman, like, I raped and stabbed this woman and left her to die and bleed out and left her- In front of her toddler of all To wander around, you know, all these things, and then you're like- Cool, bro, let's do it. Oh, okay. Well, let me try it, you have enticed me. I'd, I'd like to give her a go. Like, I just, I don't know. Um, it was approved, actually. Partially because he had a record prior to the murders of That's auto fair. theft. Auto theft turned homicide. Well, yeah. Yeah, he turned, yeah. He was sentenced to life in prison on one count of murder. Um, I have seen two different things about this. I've, I've seen one that he was sentenced to life for Pamela's murder. And then the other is he was charged with Linda's and sentenced to life for Linda's murder. So, either way, he's serving life. He is still in prison now, where he deserves to stay. Because, I mean, you're not going to tell me that there wasn't some want to there because he went ahead with the with Pamela's murder after participating in Linda and Claudia's too. And after hearing what Danny said about Patricia. So yeah, regardless, he's in, he's in prison. 
Um, Danny continued to claim his innocence, uh, but he was convicted in the first trial for Patricia Houck, and then the second trial for Pamela Fearnow. He changed his plea to no contest in the murders of Linda Clark and Claudia Bidstrup, which gained him two more life sentences. Um, yeah. He is spending the rest of his life in prison after four murders because he got four life sentences. You're not outliving that. Um, so he, this happened and Larry was also going through his trial through the appeal or yeah, through the appeal. And, um, second time around, Larry actually tried an insanity plea in his second trial, but it was found to be weak. So he admitted he murdered Gary Smock and was again sentenced to life in prison. So the murders that Danny committed were done in 1972. And in 1975, three years later, keep in mind, um, Paula had already filed for divorce at this point. Right. She, they'd been divorced. Um, and then Danny started murdering women. Uh, so in 1975, um, Paula married Larry. Wow. What a keeper. <laughs> um, she then divorced him four years later. Wait, okay, so she she married and divorced one guy in 72. No, okay, no, so she married Danny back in the late 60s, mid mid to late 60s. Divorced him in 72. Divorced him in 72. Married his brother in 75. And then divorced him in 79. Oh, for fuck's sake. Right. So, um, yeah, she... I mean, she, yeah, she divorced him four years later, but she married both brothers, and this is just a... How did she live through this? I don't know. She must have high blood pressure. I don't know. So, um, yeah, that is the story of uh, Larry and Danny Raines. Um, couple post-story notes. There is a book. Um, so in 1987, a Michigan author named Conrad Hilberry wrote a book called Luke... Karamazov? 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 Anyways, yeah, you can look it up. Um, we'll probably put it in, like, show notes or something. But it was his pseudonym for Monk Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf? In the book, he changed the brothers' names to Ralph and Tommy. I'm going to assume that's a Cyril? Cyril? S-E-A-R-L? So... The whole point of this is Conrad Hilbury wrote a book about Larry and Danny Rains. I remember reading why he made the decision to change the names, but ultimately he made that decision. And so there is a book you can read that is based off the brothers. Um, and the whole Monk Steppenwolf thing is because Larry legally changed his name to Monk Steppenwolf, uh, claiming he was a... He was significant in the Herman Hess novel. Mm. He went from Larry Rains to Monk Steppenwolf. Mm. Yeah. Oh, um, there is apparently an ID special called Evil Kin on this, by the way. If anyone would like to watch something, probably pretty terrible. Wow, that was 
a lot. A roller coaster of some shit. Yeah, now you understand why the whole time I was like, oh my god, you, this is gonna blow your mind. It's because um, it was, it's not common, but it's literally brothers who were both serial killers. And they married At the same At different times, woman. even. And they married the same woman. And both had the same outcome. Yeah, they both ended up in prison for life because that's what happens. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. That was that was a mess. Yes, it was. Those. I, yeah. Now do you understand why? Like for four days, I was like, "Dude, this is gonna blow your mind." That was insane. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Well, stay tuned for episode three are coming out gonna, next. Are week? we gonna tell them where to find us? Where can they find us? How can they contact us? I mean, well, you know me, I prefer not to be contacted. I mean, we got the emails. We do have an email. It's uh, the crime scene podcast at gmail.com. Scene spelled S E E N. Yeah, yeah, like crime, and then you've seen it. You did that. Please help me. <laughs> you did that. <laughs> um, <laughs> our Instagram is the crime scene podcast. Crime podcast scene or pod? pod? Is it pod? It's pod. Crime scene pod. I, I forget our own podcast. Yeah. So Instagram is the crime scene pod. The crime scene pod. The crime scene pod. I think that's the only place that you guys can contact us though, which is okay for now. I don't do Twitter, so. And you can find our episodes on any place you get your podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'll see you all next week. Yes.